0: You'd have to kill every person in Metro New York, L.A., Chicago, DFW, Houston, and Washington, D.C. to equal the number of abortions that have happened since Roe v. Wade. It is massive in its scope.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues with part two of a four-part series titled The Biblical View of Abortion. The issue of abortion is deeply rooted in spiritual forces that come directly from Satan and the domain of darkness. According to John 8.44, Satan himself is the father of lies and has been a murderer from the beginning. He wants to convince you that abortion is morally acceptable by relentlessly exposing you to the advice and philosophies of the unbelieving world, which are contrary to the Word of God. If you're a Christian, it's vital you understand Satan's primary tactics to promote abortion in a culture. False religion, secular philosophies, and false information. And as Christians, we must know how to respond biblically. Keep that in mind as we join our teacher right now on the Word Unleashed.
0: At six weeks, the embryo is less than an inch long, but it already has fingers on its hands. At 43 days, there are detectable brain waves. After six and a half weeks, the embryo has begun to move, but but because of its tiny size and the thickness of the mother's abdominal wall, the mother won't feel movement or quickening, as it's sometimes called, until several weeks later. By nine weeks, the child has a unique set of fingerprints, the gender of the child can be determined, and there are functioning kidneys. By the end of the 12th week, think about this, by the end of the 12th week, the first trimester, the child is fully formed and all the organs of the child's body are functioning. The baby can even cry and suck its thumb by the 12th, end of the 12th week. All of that happens in the first three months of pregnancy. The rest of the pregnancy is simply the time during which all those systems continue to grow and to mature. But they're all there and functioning at 12 weeks. So with that in mind, let me go to the most difficult part of my message today, and that is the common methods of abortion. How exactly is abortion done in our world? There are two overarching approaches. The first is called medical abortion. In medical abortion, a drug is used to end the pregnancy. Today the most common drug is RU486, also known as the abortion pill. This pill is usually given in the first trimester, but it is at times used throughout the pregnancy. Again, doctors tell me that this drug blocks the chemical receptor sites used by progesterone in the uterus, essentially shutting down the, the function of the placenta so that the child no longer has that system of support. Then another drug is given that initiates labor and the developing embryo or fetus is ejected, expelled from the woman's body. Since fetuses aborted this way after 20 weeks may still be alive, in a 2007 medical journal doctors were advised to first inject a drug into the child's heart to stop it before beginning the abortion. The second major approach to abortion is surgical abortion. And surgical abortion is when instruments are used to remove the fetus from the womb. The first form of surgical abortion is called vacuum aspiration, also called a suction abortion. This is the most common procedure in the first trimester. After dilating the cervix, A plastic tube is inserted into the uterus. Using a high-powered vacuum, the fetus and the placenta are sucked out, and then the walls of the uterus are scraped. One abortion doctor filmed an ultrasound of his performing a suction abortion on an 11-week-year-old female fetus. He did so just out of curiosity. After this doctor watched the 12- to 15-minute procedure, He left his practice and devoted himself and the rest of his life to fighting against abortion. The film he produced from that is called The Silent Scream, and it's still available on YouTube. Let me just say to you, if you're not sure that abortion is the taking of an innocent life, watch that film. A second surgical... excuse me, a second surgical abortion method is dilation and evacuation. It's also called a D&E. This method is typically used after 14 to 15 weeks. Forceps are used to crush and remove the fetus in pieces. The rest is vacuumed out. One abortion doctor described it like this, quote, a grasping forceps similar to pliers with teeth is inserted into the womb to grasp part of the fetus. Because the developing baby already has calcified bones, the parts must be twisted and torn away. This process is repeated until the body is totally dismembered and removed. Sometimes the head is too large and must be crushed in order to remove it. Bleeding is profuse." End quote. A third surgical method Is dilation and extraction, also called DNX. This is typically used in the second and third trimesters. Often, to avoid accidental live birth, the fetus is first killed with an injection of potassium into its heart in order to create cardiac arrest, a heart attack, so that the child dies. Another method is to inject a saline solution into the amniotic fluid which burns the child's skin but more importantly to their purpose the child gulps in the womb and death ensues. Paul Fowler in his book on abortion writes this, the methods of abortion are physically violent whether it be a sharp double-edged curette or knife by which the child is unceremoniously dissected or the suction of the inserted tube which tears apart the tiny child or the burning effect of the injected saline solution on the tender skin of the child while simultaneously poisoning the baby internally, there is no term more appropriate for such cruel methods than violence. If you have a tender heart for animals, rightly so. The righteous man cares for his animal, the proverb says. Don't have any less of a tender heart for these little ones. So that's the current expression. The fourth crucial fact that we need to understand about abortion is the spiritual foundations. What is its source? How does a civilized culture, how do people made in the image of God come to accept and promote such things? It's important that we ask this question Where did abortion come from? There's only one answer to that question. Let me walk through it in several parts. First of all, Satan loves to destroy all those made in God's image. Turn to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and look at verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father, Jesus said to those who hadn't believed in Him. They said to Him, we were not born of fornication, implying Jesus was since He didn't have a human father. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come forth from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot. Dunamite, you don't have the power, you don't have the capacity to hear my word. Why? Verse 44, here it is. You are of your Father, the devil. As we're learning even in 1 John 3, Everyone in this world either has the devil for his or her father. We all did when we were born, and the only exception are those who have been born of God, who have been redeemed, who have been brought to new life by the Spirit of God through the work of Jesus Christ. So all of those who are unregenerate have Satan for their father. And he goes on to say, and you want to do the desires of your father. You want to be like him. You want to do what he does. And what does he do? He was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice, murdering and lies are tied together. How does Satan most promote murder? How did he promote it in the Garden of Eden? Through lies. Listen, Satan knew exactly what he was doing when he said to Eve, you will not surely die. What did he want? He wanted death. He wanted spiritual and physical death to come into the world. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he is the ultimate source of all wrongful taking of life. He loves to destroy those made in God's image. I've used this illustration before, but if you were to walk into my office over here in the next building, and you were to see me with an 8 by 10 photo of my wife, and I had it on the wall, and, and I was throwing darts at it. And then, and then I took that photo off the wall, and I sh- took a pair of scissors, and I started cutting it up into tiny little pieces. And, and then I threw those pieces in a trash can on my desk, and I, I lit them on fire. You would say, Tom has a problem with his wife. <laughs> and rightly so. Why? Because the way I treat her image says something about the way I think of her. And the same thing is true when it comes to Satan. He can't get to God. God is sovereign over him. He can't do anything to God. And so in his hatred, he wants to destroy everything made in his image. Make no mistake, it's not God but Satan who is behind the murder of children, both those outside the womb and those inside the womb. Secondly, Satan has historically promoted the murder of children by two primary means. So he's out to destroy all those made in God's image, including children. And he's historically promoted that by two primary means. One of them is not so much today, that's false religion. But it has been true in the past, Jeremiah 19, verses 4 and 5. God says He's bringing judgment on His people, listen to this, because they have forsaken Me and have made this an alien place and have burned sacrifice in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah have ever known, and because they have filled this place, listen to this, with the blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded, nor spoke of, nor ever did it enter my mind." God says, I would never in in eternity ask people to do that. And yet that's what Satan and his demons have initiated, religion that calls for the sacrifice of children, throwing them in the fire. And by the way, don't misunderstand. People who worshiped in pagan religions and did that, they didn't offer their valuable children. Just like to God, they didn't offer their their healthy and well animals. They were tempted to offer those that were sick and lame and had problems. It's like, here's your sacrifice, God. It's the same way it happened in pagan religion. It was an excuse to get rid of unwanted children. But that's not so much Satan's approach today. In our day, and in most of human history, he's promoted this through secular philosophies. Look at Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians 10 and verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, that is we're human, we're human beings, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't use fleshly human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare in the spiritual battle, they're not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful, notice this, for the destruction of fortresses. What are these fortresses? Well, immediately, the people in Corinth would have known what Paul was describing. There was a fortress in Corinth just south of the city. There was a a high hill, and on that hill was a fortress that was built so that if the city of Corinth was attacked, all of the people could flee into that fortress and be safe. Here, he's talking about a spiritual fortress, a spiritual stronghold. He says, we are using Powerful weapons, the Word of God, to destroy spiritual strongholds in which people who are unregenerate hold up to defend themselves against the truth. And notice what these fortresses are. We are destroying, here it is, speculations. The Greek word is legismos. It's, it's thoughts, ideas, philosophies. In other words, people in our world, Paul says, are, are held up in ideological fortresses. And he said, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Greek thought, those, those fortresses in which they hid from the truth, those fortresses were built by Aristotle and Plato and others. While there was some truth here and there in what they wrote They wrote and defended abortion and infanticide and many other things contrary to the purposes of God. But the Greek people hid in those fortresses from the truth. So what philosophies has Satan used to promote abortion in our culture? Well, let me just give you a little list. I don't have time to develop them, but here are several. First of all, Darwinian evolution. If man is only an animal, he has no eternal soul, he's not made in the image of God, he's an accident, he's only an animal. Nature's way is the survival of the fittest, then why can't I, as the fittest, make decisions about what happens to my offspring? Then there's humanism. Humanism said that man is the measure of all things. That introduced moral relativism. There, is, there are no moral absolutes, so let's take a vote. Let's take a survey to decide whether abortion's okay. 60% of Americans think abortion's okay. Well, it's okay. Feminism. The only way a woman can be autonomous and free is to have what they call total reproductive rights, including the right to terminate the pregnancy and the life of that child. And today, one philosophy that's increasingly chanting and being used to champion abortion rights is Marxism, this whole idea that there are the oppressors and there are the oppressed. Men, in this case, we're told, are the oppressors who have oppressed women by requiring them to carry their children to term. And if we're going to be free and equal, then we have a right to, to make this decision. It's our right. So understand, ultimately, abortion traces back to Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. That enters into the stream of human thought through false religion and secular philosophies. But how does, how does the secular philosophy, the philosophies I just mentioned, how do they connect with people in the real world? That brings us to a, a third part of this sort of spiritual source of all of this. Satan uses the world system to appeal to our lusts and to influence us to accept and practice those philosophies. Satan uses the world system to appeal to our lusts and to influence us to accept and practice those philosophies. We studied 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16, do not love the world. That is the the world system, the, the sort of group think that's in the world we live in, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what makes up this world system? Well, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. In other words, here's what happens. Satan's created the system to appeal to our fallenness, to appeal to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and our pride. And so we read things, we see things, it connects with our sin, our fallenness, and it draws us out to accept that and to do it. And so in the case of abortion, for example, the world's systems Uh, The world system's appeal tends to be things like, and you heard it in the list of reasons the women gave, tends, tends to be things like convenience, ease, financial desires, other relationships, having a higher priority, and so forth. And so that's how it works. The world system connects us to those philosophies. But in addition to that, Satan influences us to accept and practice those philosophies through this system. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The point here is that in the entirety of his waking life, the righteous man has nothing to do with these things. He entirely abandons them. What things? Look at verse 1 again. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The word counsel has to do with advice or how we think. By the counsel of the wicked, the psalmist meant righteous people don't take the advice or the counsel about stuff that people who regularly sin and break God's law give. The righteous do not, as a custom of life, walk in the counsel of those who disregard God's law and set up their own. The righteous totally abandons the advice of the wicked at every level. In other words, don't listen to people who don't know God who talk about these issues. Notice, He does not stand in the path of sinners. We're not to stand, that is to continue or to remain in the patterns of behavior in which sinners live. We're not to adopt the lifestyle of sinners. So don't listen to their advice and counsel about these things and don't follow their example. And then thirdly, he abandons the seat of the scoffers. The counsel of the wicked has to do with our thinking, the path of sinners has to do with our behaving, the seat of scoffers has to do with our belonging. The Hebrew word translated scoffer describes those who openly ridicule and defiantly reject God and His laws. The psalmist says we aren't to sit in the seat of scoffers. We aren't to connect ourselves to them, whether officially or socially, in a way that we're one of them, that we belong. But brothers and sisters, don't miss the main point of verse 1. The psalmist in those three nouns, wicked, sinners, and scoffers, Together is including all unregenerate men, every unbeliever without exception. And the point is, the righteous person, the person who knows God, abandons every path of those who live in rebellion against God. He abandons every human way. He abandons thinking like they think, living like they live, and belonging where they belong. Now, let me say it as bluntly as I can, and particularly you who are younger, I want you to listen to me, Satan is after your mind that's what he wants. He wants your mind. He wants to change your thinking. He wants to create a different way for you to think about things his way rather than God's way. How does Satan go about changing your thinking? The people you hang around, the people who day to day you interact with, they give you their values. They tell you what they believe. They they influence you to think certain ways. The people that you hang around, but also what you read, what you listen to, the music you imbibe, what you watch, the video games you play, the people you follow on social media. In fact, let me just say it bluntly. There's a reason they're called influencers. They are influencing you. Do not allow yourself to sit at the feet of those who are wicked, those who are ungodly, and imbibe their way of thinking to be influenced by their mind. Be careful. Limit your time. Be careful what programs and movies you watch, what music you listen to, what websites you visit, what news you read. Why? And listen to me carefully, because all of them are preaching at you. You say, Tom, I'm I'm tired of your preaching at me. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody's preaching at you. That website is preaching at you. There are values behind what that person is explaining. That song is preaching at you. That video game is preaching at you. That website is preaching at you and trying to get you to embrace their way of thinking. And if it's not the Scripture, if it's not God's way, it is Satan's way. He's trying to convince you to at least accept his ways. At least at least accept them, even if you don't do them well, I don't believe abortion is morally right, but, you know, I think it's a woman's right to decide. He wants to convince you that abortion is morally acceptable by relentlessly exposing you to the advice of the wicked. Next time, Lord willing, we're going to unmask the flawed arguments that people make in favor of abortion, and then we're going to consider the clear biblical arguments against it.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his series, The Biblical View of Abortion. Tom will have part three for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, why must Christians so clearly understand the spiritual foundations of the issue of abortion?
0: You know, Bill, it's so important for us to understand that Satan is after the mind of every single person. He wants to change your thinking by creating a different way for you to think about abortion, his way rather than God's way. And the way Satan does this is by using the people around you, the people you interact with each day. They influence you with their values. Satan uses what you read, what you listen to, the music that you imbibe, what you watch, the people you follow on social media. You know, our culture loves to label people influencers. There's a reason for that. Christian, do not allow yourself to be influenced by those who are wicked, by those who are ungodly, and embrace their way of thinking. To be influenced by their mind, as Christians, we must think like Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well, we allow the Scripture, according to Romans 12:1 and 2, to tell us God's will on these matters. That's where we need to go for our influence.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit the wordunleashed.org where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's the wordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.